Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you're looking to retire early with forever passive income, you're in the right place. This podcast is the go-to destination for real estate investors, both active and passive, and multifamily apartment investors, both new, intermediate, and advanced. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So, hey, Tom, listen, welcome to Accelerated Investor. Thanks for carving out some time. Now, you're financially independent, unlike a lot of people, so you might have a little bit more time than others, but thanks for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it, Josh. It's good to be inside, you know, when we're recording this. I'm in Austin, Texas, and it's 150,000 degrees out there, so... I'd yeah. rather be in here doing this. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out some time sharing your message today, Tom. So look, you, you, you've got a lot more time available on your hands than a lot of people being financially independent. Um, there's, there's a lot of things you could be doing with your time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But as we kind of introduce you to the audience here, tell me what are some projects that you're working on now? I know now you get to kind of do projects by choice instead of because you have to. So what do you choose to spend your time on today? So uh, today, uh, just kind of uh, actually, you know, I, I, I run an educational platform. So we're kind of working on some things for that, just to kind of help people, you know, understand how to do this. And then always there's real estate projects. So, you know, working on various projects because there were there were things that we that we've got going on that have been going on since the pandemic. So just, you know, kind of pulling on the reins here and there on various projects that are under construction. Gotcha. So new development. Tell me about yeah. that. Is there one project in particular that you just worked on? Give me a little bit of idea of what that looks like. Yeah, we've well, we've got several. You know, one is a um it's actually an age-restricted HUD HUD project, you know, so it's a HUD loan. We've got some 40-year fixed debt on that one. Uh came through the pandemic, moved a little slow. Uh, big surprise, right? Just like everything right. that uh, couldn't be sold prior to the pandemic. So it's really starting to pick up velocity now. And so we're kind of working on on that and working on a, a recap of the capital. And so uh, all is good there. And we've got, you know, various various multifamily projects in different stages of construction across Texas. And uh, actually kind of dove into the extended stay uh, asset class this summer, well, actually over the last two years. So we're doing a portfolio mm. of extended stay hotels. And so you guys have done over $700 million of acquisitions, development. Right. You're one of the few guys that I've interviewed that said extended stay. So just describe that asset class to our audience who would maybe not familiar with it and help us a little bit understand the structure, the capital stack around that type of investment opportunity. Yeah, you bet. We, you know, asked me two years ago, you wouldn't have heard that coming out of my mouth either. So one of our you know, one of our partners came to us and said, hey, we, you know, we really like the extended stay market. We're like, hey, we're multifamily guys, right? And, you know, the comment was, this is workforce housing. Okay, so we declined at the time and started doing our research. And, uh, you know, so two years down the line now, you know, the extended stay, you know, there's, there is hospitality hotels, there's the nice, you know, resort hotel you go to with the giant pool and all that stuff. That's one type of hospitality uh, asset, but the extended stay hotels are things that that people use uh, pretty much as, as work housing. Uh, like in my, you know, I was a physician. We used to have traveling 
techs, traveling nurses, traveling doctors, they'd come in for 30, 60, 90 days, maybe longer. They'd stay at these extended stay hotels. So 40% of the, of the residents in these places stay over 30 days and some stay up to a year. So uh, we like that portion. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly less amenitized. Uh, it's a lot less expensive to build. If you've seen them, they all have different names, but they pretty much got the same shape. They're boxes, uh, mm -hmm. smaller workout rooms, smaller pool, things like that. So less amenities, less cost to build. It costs us 132000 a key to build one of those. It costs us two fifty to build a multifamily unit. Oh, so, yeah. 132000 uh, is cheap for a key, yeah. that's for sure. Yep. And so, you know, and, and they're they're in strategic areas uh, around Texas and, and one in a, and a couple in another state. And, you know, people people stay there and they... There, what we like, what's interesting, which took a, took a while to get my head around, was that you build these takes about twelve months to build them, and then uh, you know typically there's your lease up period, right? There's your 10, 12, 14 month lease up period for a multifamily. Well, these are the kind of properties that people Google online, look for the newest one, and just book. So they they will tend to stabilize anywhere sometimes between two and four months. So they stabilize <laughs> quickly. They do tend to cash flow, and so the plan is to you know, create a, a relatively large portfolio and, you know, see what we want to do in five years, whether it's sell the whole portfolio, sell part of it, sell them, you know, one off to mom and pops. It just depends on what the market supports at the time. So it's a new venture for us. Uh, I can't tell you how it's gone yet because other than it's going along fine, but, you know, catch me in a year or two and everything's built and uh, we'll see, we'll see if the numbers yeah. panned out like well, we expected. Well, yeah, have you back on the show in a year and a half, two years, and you can tell us <laughs> Tell us how things are going at that time. That would be great. You, um, you have had a lot of success with real estate development, but your career started as a doctor. You were orthopedic surgeon, physician for the U.S. ski team. Um, a lot of people would say doctors are all rich, but yet you wrote a book called Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. So that's going to catch a lot of people off guard. Um <laughs> So let me just ask you the question. Why don't doctors and people like that that are perceived to be wealthy, whether it be a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, why don't they get rich in your opinion? Yeah, and you picked up on that great. That's actually sort of a shocker title, sort of a metaphor for the fact that no matter how much you get paid per service or per hour, uh, if you get hit by a bus or get sick, the music stops. Mm -hmm. So sort of in my mind, my opinion, real wealth is having assets that produce cash flow, whether you're sleeping, vacationing, playing with your kids or, you know, binging Game of Thrones on TV, whatever you're doing, the money's coming in. So uh, so that was the the premise for the title. Actually, a friend of mine gave it to me. I tested it for two years. It never got worse. So I, I love the title. Uh, and, and that's kind of the thing. We, you know, I was a physician and loved it. We got we got paid well and really enjoyed it. But um you know, a long time ago, decided maybe it's better to have something coming in outside of medicine to give me a little more freedom, a little more choice, a little more, a little more time in my life. So it doesn't, I guess the message that I heard you just say is it doesn't matter how big the income might be. If it's a W-2 income, if it's trading time for dollars, even if those dollars are a lot of dollars, the lifestyle typically keeps up with the paycheck. And so the lifestyle is expensive. Maybe it's the larger house, the more expensive car, the second home. And so ultimately, you're still working and trading time for dollars and spending more dollars because you're making more dollars. And so ultimately, it doesn't end up in wealth or richness or financial freedom. 
And that could be a doctor, an accountant, an attorney, a highly paid sales executive, those types of things. So when did it dawn on you in your personal life that you were on that same path, that you were actually going to be that guy who had a big income, but not a lot of free time and maybe never be financially independent? So believe it or not, it was back before I was that guy that had the money. I was actually in training. So I was getting, you know, paid like an indentured servant and working hard, but watching the guys that were training me, right? So that's because we train with the apprenticeship model. So we're watching these docs that are supposed to be us in 10, 20, 40 years, right? They weren't happy. They were having to work. You know, maybe they were 65, 70. They were still working, things like that. And I saw enough examples of that. It hit me enough times. I thought, you know, maybe it might be nice to have something that's not correlated with medicine. I see medicine kind of maybe having a little downward trend over the next 10, 20, 30 years. That turned out to be a lucky prediction for me, mm -hmm. at least correct sure. prediction. So it was back before I was making money. So um, that's when it hit me. And it was just kind of a slow progression of always looking for something on the side. I landed on real estate because it, it fit that lifestyle. You know, it, you don't have to be, you know, first in or last out and you can do it with partners. You can do it part-time, full-time, as you know. So it fit the lifestyle of a busy surgeon. And I just tried to put one block on top of the other over time. And eventually those things compounded. Yeah. Tell me about, or tell our audience about Tom for you. How important was it to have patience? And what I mean by that is so many people want the quick dollar, the big hit, the big flip. They flip a house, they flip a building, they make 50 grand, 500 grand, whatever it is, versus stacking bricks, stacking passive income checks, one on top of the other. Many people think that takes a long time to create enough <laughs> passive income to replace a big W-2 income. And if people will just get going, they realize it doesn't take nearly as long as they thought. How did that work out for you? And tell me how important it was for you to have patience, kind of be urgent in your acquisitions, urgent with your strategy, but be patient to know this is going to happen for me. I just got to stack one chip on top of the other. Yeah. Yeah. I call, I call it, I call it utilizing active patience. You're always doing something to get better, but you got to be patient. Um, my goal was, was sort of that, uh, you know, that, that how to eat an elephant thing, right? One bite at a time. I just wanted a little bit extra income. In fact, I, I would tell people if I, if I had a, if I could make a dollar passively that I didn't have to do anything to make, I'd accept it, you know, because hopefully that dollar one day becomes 10, a hundred, a thousand or whatever. And so, uh, that was the, that was that thought process. And so I literally actually would would look at my, uh, you know, my financials for the year. And, and I always tell people that I could tell what I paid for utilities, mortgage, food, groceries, whatever. And, you know, one year I looked and thought, well, you know, I made enough passive income to cover my my uh, utilities. So, yeah, that's one thing. That's kind of a nice thing. Big win right? or a win. Sure. And I just try to stack those wins. So. And in my case, I didn't want to get out of medicine. I just didn't want anybody telling me what to do. So I was yeah. going to keep, keep stacking these blocks until things happen. So it, uh, it did take some time. Uh, and I tell folks, certainly financial independence, it has a, you know, has a definition. And that's, you know, without the need to go to work to survive and live and live a lifestyle. But you know, you can have partial independence. You know, you can you can take care of partial part of your bills. And I I say, you know, I suggest to folks that that'll make you smile a little bit more. You take a little bit of pressure off, take the mortgage off your back, or take your utilities or whatever. So you know, kind of celebrate those wins. And that's what I did. I just kind of celebrated those. It made my doctor life more enjoyable because as as the you know as the as the scales began to tip, I worked a little less as a doctor, a little more on the real estate. And was able to kind of titrate that like a chemist, you know, to where I really yeah. liked it. So 
you know, Peter Drucker does say that we, we, you know, we, we, uh, we think we can do more in a year. Yeah, we overestimate we can do in a year. We underestimate what we can do in five years. It probably took me 10 mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was bouncing into blind walls and making lots of mistakes. I think it can be done lots, a lot faster than that. But I think if you just prepare and be patient and use that active patience, that comp that the power of compounding will work for you. Yeah. Tom, I must ask you, how much more enjoyable was it to go to work when you knew you were doing it by choice versus by having to go? Like, how much more enjoyable was the day being around the nurses and your patients and your administrative staff when you're like, you know what? Like, I don't have to be here. I could walk out if I want. And that choice probably made things so much more enjoyable. Gosh, it was fabulous. You know, people talk about doctors spending 30 seconds with them in the office and things like that. And as as my time became more my own, I continued playing doctor because I enjoyed it. I, I I stayed as a physician for 12 and a half years after I became financially independent. And the last four years of my practice, I did for free. So mm -hmm. because I didn't have anything else to do, I enjoyed what I was doing. My my physician assistant and I would literally come to work saying, we like coming to work because we were able to curate the types of patients we wanted. I could fire the insurance companies that weren't nice to me. Uh, I could not take call. And if a hospital told me, hey, you need to you know, cover the emergency room in order to work at our hospital, I could just wave and wave to them and say, I don't need you. So yeah. it was a lot of fun. I don't want to sound like a, a ton of hubris, but I was a better doctor because of it. I was able to put all my heart and soul into people and I didn't have to care if they paid me and I could spend five minutes or I could spend an hour with them. I think I got the benefit and I think they got a huge benefit. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful statement. I was a better doctor because I was financially independent. That is a big, big takeaway. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Tom, let me ask you. So if you were to look back at the way you did it, and I'm sure, you know, I haven't read the book yet, but Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. Guys, buy the book, read it. I'm going to read it. I'm sure in there, there's probably a checklist of how to get started. So if you were to go back, and I know you also teach this in your mastermind, the Rich Life Mastermind, you teach this to your members in your group. So tell our audience, if they want to follow your path or a similar path, what are some of the first steps, maybe the first two or three things that you would recommend they get started with? Should they invest as a limited partner and learn the business while investing with an active operator? Should they go buy a building? Should they JV partner with someone? Should they invest in a fund structure or invest with an active developer like you? What, based on your experience, when you see people get financially independent, what are some of the common themes of the way they begin and start? Bad. I'm probably going to drive your listeners crazy because I'm going to sound like Robin Sharma, but you got it. You got to know why you're doing it because it's not all fun sure. and games. There's ups and downs. Then you got to get a little bit of education. There's tons of ways to get that. You and I are doing that right now. There's books, there's podcasts, there's, there's, you know, seminars, things like that. And then you got to kind of decide what you might like and try to focus a little bit. 
get around people that are doing what you want to do. It's really nice to hang around people that are at least heading in the same direction you're going, or even better, that have been to where you want to go and can help you avoid some of their mistakes. So that's kind of the whole crux of the first part of the book is just get your mind right, understand why you're doing it, learn, be learning, but you can't learn your way to financial independence. You got to get in the game. And that's, that's right. chapter whatever, five or something, but get in the game. And so do something. And I always suggest start small because you will make mistakes. I have made plenty and continue to make them. You'll make mistakes. And so if you start small, your mistakes will be small as will be the consequences, but the lessons will be the same size. You still get the big lessons if you make those mm, mistakes. That was good. So, um, and you can do it in multiple ways. You know, there's, there's no real cookbook. It's basically, you can... You can be a passive investor and find people to invest with. I suggest you, you know, you kind of carefully find people that have nice long track records and friends that have invested with them and get to know them. And there's sort of a list of due diligence items for that kind of thing. And start like that. You'll learn how people run funds or how they run syndications. You'll understand the, the jargon and the nomenclature for real estate or whatever you're investing in. Should you choose to go do your own, you know? buy a single family home, buy a duplex, do something, you know, but look hard, look at a lot before you buy something and make sure it's making you money on the day you, the day you sign the papers. Yeah. But invest for cash flow. Let me ask you about that time. That's a great point. There was one thing you said that I want to reiterate to our audience. I wrote this down and said, start small because the mistakes are small, but the lessons, the takeaways are the same size. Right. Meaning, if you invest $25,000 as a limited partner and you follow that operator and you follow what they're doing and the things that are going well, things that they may be doing wrong, you start small, the mistake could be small, but if somebody else invested a million dollars in that same deal, you get to learn the same lesson because you're in the deal as a limited partner. You might have a much smaller investment, but you get to take away the same lessons from watching them operate and what value add improvements did they make? What kind of development did they do? How did they structure the capital stack? You get to see everything the same as the million dollar investor, even if you started out with 25 or 50 grand. That was big. So I wrote that down. I want to point that out to our audience. Um, and so, so start again, like you said, start with a duplex, start with a small apartment building, buy something. But you mentioned something, I think, again, that's critical is buy something that cash flows day one, right? right. Versus right. something with, Lots of equity appreciation upside. <laughs> so Tom, when you were putting together your strategy, and again, when you talk to people in the book or in your mastermind, how much more important is it for you to get cash flow versus equity? Is it one more important than the other? And how much emphasis do you put into each one? Certainly at the beginning, I was I was painfully focused on cash flow. If it didn't cash flow, I wouldn't buy it. I didn't buy land, I didn't buy gold, you know, and there's ways to, you know, there's lots of good reasons to buy those things. But I wanted cash flow. So if it cash flowed, I'd buy it and I wanted it to cash flow day one. Then as you, you know, maybe go forward as you as you have more passive income coming in, there's times when you can, you know, sit back and take some time and wait for some years or months or whatever it's going to take for for your equity to build. And you can use sort of that a capital appreciation model. But I I I, I believe, at least in my opinion, that if you've got the cash flow, you can make mistakes. It will help you more immediately in your lifestyle. And um, you know, it's just it's it's a lot easier to create a hundred dollars a month in cash flow than to you know than to make five million dollars, and it looks no doubt. a lot easier. And and look 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 at what's happened in the last year, right? You can't eat equity, right? So if you got a deal that's cash flowing, you got a deal that's cash flowing, and it's throwing off a seven percent cash on cash return. Let's just say, 
um, and you thought you had a bunch of equity because interest rates were super low and everything was appreciating in value, and maybe you waited too long to sell it. Now all of a sudden interest rates are up, the 10-year treasury is up, bridge debt has almost disappeared, and all of a sudden that equity is not nearly what you thought it was. You still have the cash flow coming in. You can wait out the downturn versus somebody that just invested for equity and had little or no cash flow. Now, any equity that they maybe thought they had could be gone for the next two or three years until the market rebounds, right? So the, 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 the cash flow is what you can eat. It's what you can live. It's what you can reinvest in the next deal versus equity only really gets realized upon the sale. So that's a critical, right. critical thing. I think that's how I mentioned. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. You're going to say? No, just great pickup. That's for sure. Yeah, you don't. You know, you almost you care, but from from a profit and loss standpoint, you don't care what the equity is as long as your tenant's still paying you. So you got that cash flow, uh, and you and you know less of a tax problem. You know, if you're waiting for a sale, there's <clears throat> there's issues with taxes. Either you 1031 or you use use some sort of accelerated depreciation, which is you know kind of getting a little less and less right now, but it's still there. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta retool and spin up the machine again every time you sell. You know, when you when you when you have something that cash flows, if you're holding for long term and you have long term debt, uh, you're in you're you're in the catbird seat. You just it's a lot more comfortable. You sleep a lot easier. Oh yeah, I love it. So guys, start small, invest for cash flow. You want something that's going to appreciate. That's got to be part of the model that you're looking for when you're looking at investments. But the lesson's the same size. Cash flow day one. You can eat cash flow. You can't eat equity. Great stuff. Tom, a couple more questions. Um, you said you became financially independent. You were a doctor for 12 more years after that. The last four years, you basically worked for free. Yep. Uh, for those people that don't know what it's like, and again, I'm not asking you to brag here, but tell us, what is it like being financially independent? Well, most people don't experience that. We know so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. Describe it for us. What is it like for you? What are your days like? What do you do with your free time? It's liberating. And, you know, one thing I noticed, you know, I always sort of knew what day it was when I was, I was maybe financially free, but still doing the doctoring, you know, so I would know it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever we did that morning. I only worked mornings for that 12 years, but now I'm not sure what day it is, which is uh, yeah. <laughs> an interesting way, way to put it. So today's yeah. Friday, by the way, Tom, just so you know, I just, Thanks. you know, I'll remind no. you. <laughs> but it's really fun. And so, uh, you know, and, and there's some good and bad to it. You know, I'll tell you, uh, Josh, I, you know, when I, when I finally stopped uh, doctoring that things were scheduled for me, it took me a while, you know, it was one of the things I was not experienced in. It was like, Oh my, you know, goodness, I've got to, I've got to plan my time. So I did, I wasn't very good at structuring my time. So it's, it's a blast. And, you know, you, you can, I, I probably got caught with too much opportunity, did too many things. Now we're in the simplification stage and I basically sure. schedule out time to make sure, you know, I'm going to go hit tennis balls or go hike somewhere. And I just came back from climbing a mountain in Africa. So, you know, I try to travel a lot. It's, it is, it is very nice when you know, the money's going to come in. Uh, you can kind of sit back and, you know, you can kind of wonder what's your purpose. I know that's real deep sounding and everything, but we, yeah, we're all here for a reason and nobody wants to just sit around and eat Cheetos and, you know, binge Netflix, right? You want to do something useful. Yeah. And so that's what happened to me over the couple of years since I retired was to really sit back and realize what, what gave me joy, what in, impacted other people. And it's not like it's not work. It's, you know, it's sometimes it's stuff that, that I've got to learn, but uh, it is a blast. It's very liberating to to know that 
you're in charge of what you do. Nobody's going to tell you to see more patients or, or, or do more clients or whatever your job is. It's, it's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. awesome. That's right. Um, Tom, let me ask you this one final question, which is just really around advice. Um, You know, one of the things, a couple of things that I wrote down that I took away was that you started really looking at, even though you knew you wanted to be a physician, you recognized early what they were doing wrong, right? Which was not really investing for cash flow, not really knowing their why and why they were doing it. um, And really understanding that you wanted to have multiple streams of income. Those are a lot of things that you got right. You also mentioned, uh, you know, Peter Drucker, one of the great leader consultants. So first question I wanted to ask you was, is as you were really paying attention to your journey and growing, um, besides Peter Drucker, like who else did you follow? What other principles were you following? Were there leaders, thought leaders, books that you read that really helped you continue to modify your philosophy? Oh, absolutely. And I still read a, a billion of them. You know, back then, this was a long time. This was 25 years. You know, Kiyosaki wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, those basically the concepts of passive income. And he also wrote Cash Flow Quadrant, which is really great for doctors, lawyers, engineers, architects. You look at that cash flow quadrant, it pretty much tells you where you are. And nothing's really changed. You know, you're taxed a lot higher on that side of the quadrant and you're taxed a lot less on the you know business owner and investor quadrant. So I certainly followed those, uh, you know, those those principles. Um I listen to Tony Robbins currently. I, you know, I'm like a, a fanboy for uh, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. You know, who not how gap in the game. Two X is better, easier than ten or ten X is easier than two X. Those are all new, but there's always something out there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Darren Hardy. You know, simple, st- simple stuff. You know, I love to listen to his his uh, little podcast every day. And the Compound Effect is just a pretty basic book about oh, success. Yeah. And love that one. There's a lot of stuff in there. So. You name it, I've probably read it. And if I haven't, let me know what it is and I will. Got it. Love it. Uh, last question is, tell us about Presario Ventures. You guys obviously work with a lot of investors. You've done $700 million of acquisition and development. What's happening over the next couple of years for Presario? How do you partner with investors? And can people log in and check out your deal flow? Um, tell us a little bit more about your investment company. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, things are things were obviously nuts before the pandemic, and uh, you know, we we were sort of half half buying, you know, buyer build and hold, half build and hold, half build and merchant sale, right? Uh, and then you know, everybody wanted to buy what we had before the before things went bad. So we sold a bunch off and uh, kind of finishing up projects now, expecting you know, kind of slow progress this year and next. You know, going to trying to pick the best of the best and not doing deals just to do deals. Mm-hmm. Um, simple syndication models. We don't do the fund model. We we raise deal by deal. Uh, the last deal was that extended stay portfolio. Um, it's pretty easy to get a hold of us. It's it's at presarioventures.com. Uh, and there's there's all kinds of ways on the website to get a hold of us, get on the list. You can get to me at Tom at richdoctor.com and get both places at once. That's fantastic stuff. Listen, Tom, fantastic advice today. I wrote down tons of notes. Uh, guys, make sure you check out Tom's book. Again, Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. That's not just for doctors. It's for anybody making a W-2 income and the ability and ways to replace that income with passive investments to ultimately get financially free. Tom, listen, thanks for carving out some time for us today. Guys, check out presarioventures.com. And uh, Tom, listen, fantastic job today. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. 
You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.